When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Gabriel Quiroga, your host in Madrid, Spain. We are doing rewatchables of classic FC Barcelona games. Today we'll be talking about the 2015 Champions League semifinal against Bayern Munich. And with me to talk about this game is one of our new members from Seattle, Washington, is Cole Ridley. Cole, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. It's uh, another rainy day here in the Pacific Northwest. Makes it a little bit easier to stay inside. How are you doing over there? You know, we're hanging in here. You know, we still got another two weeks at least of uh, quarantine here, but uh, we're hanging in. I mean, I think the biggest thing here is if we get a little bit more sun, I think our spirits are a little bit more lifted here because we are, you know, we can only leave to go to the market. We can only go to the pharmacy. And if you have a dog, you can only go 100 meters essentially from your place. So we're on pretty strict lockdown. And, you know, during the day, it's it's not bad. There's people actually in the street going to the market. So it feels quite normal. But like after six, like right now we're recording at seven Madrid time. It's a ghost town, man. It's a ghost town. So uh, hopefully we'll get through this sooner. And, you know, since there is no football, we thought it would be great to kind of relive these classic FC Barcelona games. So before we get into that, uh, let's take this quick break. All right. So Cole, this match, uh, Champions League semifinal was played on May 5th, 2015 at the Camp Nou. Uh, the opponent was Bayern Munich. Uh, so tell me first, we're going to go with personal stories. So tell me your personal story about this match in 2015. Yeah, uh, I was in my dorm room in college with the one friend I had made my first year who actually cared about world football and knew what was going on in Europe that season. Um, We had snuck in some Heineken to enjoy for the match. That's uh, something that won't get repeated, I hope. Um, But it's strange for us here in the States because that that game kicked off at noon our time. And on a Wednesday, you know, if things went south there – that's a long afternoon that's a long evening and the weekend isn't even there yet so um watching those games in europe in the states is it's it's strange sometimes doesn't give it that uh, that awe or that um nostalgia i guess yeah i hear you i mean i remember you know watching champions league games in the states it's always during the day because of the time difference and it just doesn't have that important feeling it kind of loses it right because it is during the day and i definitely remember watching all the Champions League matches during the week. Uh, and it, like you said, it just kind of loses that importance. Now, did you... Now, I'm trying to remember, 2015, so that's just a couple of years ago. Um, was that on ESPN or was that on... That was on Fox still at the time. Um, I think that they went all the way through the 2016-17 season. And then okay. that's when um, TNT kind of took over. So you watched in the dorm with one of your friends. That's cool. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was the only guy that that knew what was going on. He knew about Barca. He didn't really have a team in Europe. Uh, he, he's a big fan of the MLS, but he had been playing uh, football his whole life. And uh, he actually could name the other players on, on Bayern. So that was important. And uh, I, I couldn't do it alone. I was too, I was too nervous. I, I was really nervous for this game. Um, it was, it was uh, a big one. Yeah. I mean, I was, 
so I was living in Saragossa at the time. So Saragossa is a city right between Madrid and Barcelona. And so when I would watch these matches, especially Champions League matches, I went to this bar that I found that was very difficult to find in Saragossa because, you know, most people don't uh, really support Barcelona or, or Madrid for, for that fact. So to watch Champions League matches, I found this bar and I would go there all the time. I brought my roommate, who is from Seattle as well at the time, and uh, I introduced him to FC Barcelona. So he would just come because it was beer and nighttime and why not, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I already knew at this moment that I was moving to Madrid in September. And I had made the decision that I was going to live in Barcelona for that summer. So I had some stake in the game because I knew that I was going to be there for Champions League final in Barcelona if this happened. Mm-hmm. So... I was really nervous, as you posted, and I just remember I was watching at this bar, and it was called uh, Copas in Vino or something like this, where it was just like one euro wine. Like, it was such a random <laughs> place. And I was there with eight other Barca fans that I had never met before or anything, and the bar was huge, and I just remember watching the match, and we were all nervous, especially in the beginning of the match where we had opportunities and we weren't converting. Obviously, Bayern with Pep and all this, and when we actually won the match, I was so relieved. I remember just jumping, yelling, you know, hugging other Barca fans and stuff, and that's always, for me, the most fun when I have at a bar is watching these matches with strangers and mm-hmm. these moments happen. And so I knew, you know, after this first leg, we were on our way to the final, and Having that idea that I was going to be in Barcelona for that summer just even made it better. So yeah, you know it's 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 funny how like you brought your friend from the dorm and I brought my roommate. You know you introduce these people to foot world football. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's something that you want to bring others to because it's more fun in, in in a group when you have people around you who are going to enjoy the passion that you have for the game and, and just the sport itself. It's it's so easy to be hooked onto it and to be interested in it after you just watch one 90 minute match it it, it's it's gripping let me ask you this have you uh been here in europe for these matches at all before i have yeah i made a trip uh to barcelona in october of 2018 i went and saw the champions league group stage match against inter milan and the uh 5-1 classico in the camp new so those are my two matches okay so you know Okay, so you know the feeling here at nighttime is just another another animal here, you know, like especially the midweek Champions League. Like you can just yeah. feel it in the air. Like, you know, it's 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 an awesome feeling. It's almost like I would almost say like when your home American football team plays on a Monday night or Sunday night and it's like an important mm-hmm. match, like the city can feel it, you know, because it's a nighttime game, prime time. The one thing I will say about that is I arrived on the day of the Inter Milan match, which I believe was, it was either a Tuesday or Wednesday. It's the only days they would have played. And um, it was very strange. There was nobody in Barca kits. There was nobody wearing Barca merchandise or gear. But there was this sudden feeling that everyone was in a hurry to get home. And and I arrived so early in the day, I actually went and watched the UEFA Youth League uh, match at the Mini Estadio at the time. And it, it just felt like everyone was walking around and going about their business as, as if there was something big coming up. And and obviously it was the match, but, but you couldn't really see it unless you knew that there was a match that night. It just, there was this feeling of get home, get ready, come back. It, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun living here and especially going to the bars at that nighttime. It just, it just has that special feeling. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's jump into our first category here. Just some news before this big match. And we kind of just narrowed it down to one thing. And that was obviously Pep returning 
with Bayern back to the camp now. So what do you remember th- about this moment, about Pep coming back? You know, you kind of mentioned to me before about his exit and it wasn't completely amicable. There was some rumors that he was a little bit forced out. And you know, obviously there was other rumors, too, that he was just burnt out. But obviously this was the big news. Pep with Bayern coming back to the camp now. I can just... This- uh, describe it in one word really I was uh, nervous nervous as all hell <laughs> I thought that Pep was going to teach us a lesson I thought he was going to show us that yeah Enrique is great and, and you're going to have all these other coaches in the world but he was always going to be a step above and I, I was nervous as all hell before that yeah I mean I I honestly I was a little bit nervous but I, I was more nervous of the team rather than Pep you know mm. Because I always respected Bayern as a European powerhouse and obviously their record in European football uh, tournaments and so forth. So I respected more about the Bayern aspect. Now, obviously, Pep being inside the Barca locker room, I thought maybe he would have some insider trading, you know, that Mm -hmm. type of idea. But, you know, honestly, kind of, you know, especially since we're doing these rewatchables, it's interesting to see that Pep just doesn't have the greatest Champions League track record. And that is more, I think, because he does not want to ever deviate from his style or his specific philosophy. And as I was talking with Alejandro in the previous episode that we we just did, you know, in this Champions League, it's all about away goals and just winning and advancing. It doesn't matter the style. I mean, the style is more about the league, you know. Mm -hmm. But in this Champions Tournament, it's all about surviving and advancing and just getting through that. Because once you get to the final, it's a crapshoot. You know, there's (laughs) luck, you know, there's injuries, there's all these things. But once you get past the semifinal, you know, it's very difficult. But you have to just kind of table your philosophy just for Mm -hmm. two games just to get the win, you know? Absolutely. I think it's something that people still talk about Pep today. But when he was at Bayern, it was a lot of, will Pep overthink this again? Will Pep, will he over... uh, overanalyze his tactical formation will he over overdo his instructions and i I think we all know how that planned out yeah for sure and again i like i said i was more scared of the team because you know i respected lewandowski so much Mm -hmm. muller obviously and those players so you know i you know i personally you know um didn't completely fear pep you know and I was just interested to see how this team was going to survive in advance, you know, especially, I mean, remember in January, they almost fired Luis Enrique, you know, mm-hmm. and to get to this point, to the the way they were actually playing. I mean, we're going to talk about that in Nostalgic Corner and so forth, but it's just remarkable how things can just change from January to May. Gabrielle, let me, let me ask you this before we dive in. Did you want Pep Guardiola to leave the Camp Nou in tears or did you want him to be shaking his head I mean did you want to teach him a lesson or did you want to win gracefully and respectfully against him you know it's interesting because I've never really thought it that way I guess you know at the time obviously respectfully because it's not as though Pep left in bad terms in the middle of the season or did anything wrong so it was just really a matter of you know the contract wasn't renewed you know either from his end Mm -hmm. or the board's end you know so he did his four years and so for me you know i didn't have ill will feelings you know about this match again like i said i was just more focused on the team rather than the pep aspect of it obviously it was interesting because he you know obviously lifted barcelona to such great heights but you know i'm a classy person cole you know so i yeah absolutely no i'm the same way i I wanted it to be respectful but there, there was a bit of me that wanted to at least know that barca can withstand another trial in europe without pep 
the, the, the previous three campaigns before this one was was miserable and they ended pretty harshly and it was nice to see Barca can move on without Pep as their manager uh, in Europe. For sure. Let's get into our next topic or our next category, and that's double take, where we take a look at the lineups, kind of do a double take of maybe who surprised us in the starting lineup. So let's take a look at the FC Barcelona starting lineup. We have Ter Stegen in goal, Alves, Pique, Mascherano, Alba, and then the midfield, Rakitic, Busquets, Iniesta, and then up front, Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. And for Bayern, they had Noor, Benatia, Boateng, Rafinha, not our Rafinha, Brazilian right back, Thiago, Lam, Chabi Alonso, Bernat, Muller, Schweinsteiger, I love saying that last name, Lewandowski. Uh, any double takes for you looking at these two lineups uh, for this semifinal? Nothing uh, that surprised me from the Barca end. It was a pretty consistent lineup from what Barca put out against Paris and Man City in the earlier rounds in the knockout stages. I was a bit surprised to see uh, Javi Martinez on the bench to make way for Javi Alonso. Alonso was 33 at the time, but he was losing legs quickly. He had lost his legs at Madrid, and uh, it, I guess there was some sort of mental note that Pep must have seen and, and trusted Javi Alonso with the experience he had in Europe and against Barca that would have made him pick him for that night. Yeah, this goes out, you know, this is the old adage that any coach or manager in the history of pro sports, the veteran over the up-and-comer, right? Mm -hmm. It's, in this case, you know, like you said, you brought up Xavi Martinez. You know, I thought he was a stud. I, I'm surprised he didn't have a more prolific career because I think he had the physical goods to do it. I think he was a like a 2.0 version of Xavi Alonso, kind of, you know? Yeah. And it's surprising to me that, like, he didn't get the start because I think he would have been, you know, imagine Xavi Martinez starting in this. I think he does a better job in the midfield to really hound us, especially like hounding Iniesta with his physicality and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I would do a double take for that. Again, like you said, with the Barca lineup, that was the true and tested lineup for that season pretty much <laughs> with Mascherano on the back and Rakitic, prime Rakitic there. Obviously, Iniesta a little bit older in the tooth, but he still brought it game to game. Maybe I would say Schweinsteiger because I didn't think... He, I, when I was rewatching this match, I mean, did he even make a play? <laughs> I mean, he was <laughs> no, almost he invincible, didn't. you know? Yeah, and and looking back at what Pep actually had on the bench that night, there wasn't a lot of firepower. Um, and part of the reason that the only thing that stuck out to me was Javi Martinez is because uh, I guess the only other person you could put in there was Claudio Pizarro or Mario Goetze. I mean, he, he really was at a loss. David Alaba was hurt, um, who definitely could have been a more important side in, in the back line and maybe more physical like you said because this this Barcelona midfield was proven to be a bit uh, edgy that night they, they were bullied around even without a physical playmaker in the middle for Bayern yeah for sure and, and like I said I mean I would have gone with Goethe instead of Schweinsteiger you know and again mm. this is the same thing veteran same and outcomer, right it's the same argument and I mean, you can go with the, you know, on either side, you know, obviously Pep trusts Xabi Alonso more. I mean, he probably, you know, obviously coming from the 2010 World Cup, having all those caps with Liverpool and so forth. So obviously you go with that. But sometimes, like I just mentioned before in the beginning, Champions League is such a different animal as mm -hmm. we've seen it. It's a two game thing. And it's like you got to bring your best lineup, right? Your best thinking. And sometimes you have to go with the up and comer. And maybe if he struggles, you bring in Javi Alonso and you're saved in that situation. People understand that idea. Let's go into the next topic, mm -hmm. and that is the tactics and formation, which I thought was 
super fascinating in this match because obviously Barcelona came in with their typical 4-3-3, but I think the interesting part is the Bayern aspect. Now, the replay I was watching, they had the lineup as a 4-1-4-1, but during the match, they migrated to a 4-3-3. So what stood out to you in this kind of tactical battle? Did you think Pep was going to have the upper hand on Luis Enrique? I actually didn't think that Pep was going to have the upper hand, especially because how the first 10 minutes carried out. It was very scrappy. There wasn't a whole lot of technical passing and movements going on. It, it looked like Bayern was really trying to throw, and Pep really was trying to throw a curveball at uh, at Lucho. And I kind of thought that after the first 10 minutes that Barca were going to score more goals, but it was a question whether how many uh, away goals would Bayern take home with them. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, I, you know, I would say the one thing maybe I thought, you know, prior to actually watching this game for the first time, I definitely thought Pep was going to have the upper hand tactically because knowing specifically how to attack Barcelona's 4-3-3, I thought he was going to do something vastly different. And he just didn't. And again, this is kind of the transition, too, of Pep getting the actual midfield that he wanted, right? Because he was kind of inherited with this team and he was doing the best. He didn't have a full offseason yet to bring in the players he wanted. And so you can kind of see that, obviously, with the, the midfield that he touted. Because even though they did win the possession battle, you know, it still was close to 50-50. And for me, again, I would say, you know, again, the 4-3-3, especially our 4-3-3, was a bit disjointed. And <laughs> we can kind of see, you know, especially now in 2020, looking back here at 2015, kind of the disintegration of our midfield powerhouse. Yeah, the, the midfield definitely had its its proud moments in this match. But if if we're going to look at this and call this prime Rakitic and Iniesta was still in his prime and Busquets was there, it's a little bit worrisome. And looking at, look in hindsight, we know how it panned out and it worked out pretty well, but... There was definitely things like you said before this that things that we weren't paying attention to yet, but they were there all along, and uh, it, it was just something that was masked over at the time. For sure, and again, like I look at the, I mean, how many times did our midfield make tackles? I mean, yeah. that is something we, you know, we never really did. I, I remember like in the first fifteen minutes, Rakitic is break dancing. You know, yeah, he's so he's so many times <laughs> on the ground. You know, I'd say Neuer had more tackles than any of the Barca players. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's jump into the key stats. Uh, we have here possession, Barcelona 45%, Bayern 55%. Barcelona 15 shots with eight shots on goal, Bayern eight shots and zero on goal. And then 15 fouls for Barcelona, 14 for Bayern. So Cole, any stats that pop out at you right away? Well, the big one has to be possession, right? It's Pep Guardiola coming back as an away manager, and he had the possession game. It was something that we... We're wondering whether it would happen or not. Um, and he, he proved to to be more interested in possessing that ball. Although when you watch that game, it, it doesn't really feel like it. it. It seems a lot more even. And if anything, there's more possession for for loose balls. Uh, this, it, how scrappy this was does not is not reflected in the key stats at all. Yeah, I mean, how many passes were strung together? You know, in a row. I mean, it was very few. And that's like you said, it was very loose ball oriented going from one end to the other end to a long ball to this. I mean, I honestly think that Lucho going into this game really didn't care about the possession because he thought that with the speed on the flanks with Neymar and Messi that he would take his chances going forward that way. 
And again, you know, with Rakitic, obviously when we think of Rakitic, even in his prime, I never think of a possessive midfielder, even though we did have Iniesta. We just, I mean, how many passes did we string together? I mean, I barely counted five or six, you know, at a time. And then we would just, Bayern would get the ball, they would do the same thing. And we just kind of go back and forth. And it shows the number. The other thing for me is the shots on goal. I can't believe that Bayern didn't, I mean, really get a clear shot on goal. And obviously Lewandowski missed a clear opportunity, but you would think, especially, you know, when I think of German teams, they usually like to shoot from outside the box and they were unable to even test Ter Stegen in this match. Yeah, that was one thing that was very surprising. And you mentioned that before this as well, that the broken nose that Lewandowski had, I'll let you dive into it more, but let's say he's healthy and isn't wearing a mask, that this game goes a lot differently, especially with how open it was in the beginning and, and Barcelona just, they couldn't do anything with the ball in the first 10 minutes. I think altogether more passes were strung between the back lines of each team than the midfield and especially the front lines. Neymar and Messi were attached to the sidelines throughout this entire match, which meant that the midfield was going to have to slide back and forth with the ball a lot more than what we're seeing nowadays. Um, Danny Alves would overlap at times. Jordi Alba would do the same, but for the most part, they were much more interior and they would stay back. So I think it it maybe just came down to, at the end of it, a loss of game plan. Uh, the players really couldn't put anything together, let alone stay on their feet. Yeah, we'll talk about Lewandowski a little bit more in detail later on. So let's jump into my favorite part. I think this is my favorite category when we're going to do these rewatchables are the, is the nostalgic corner. Now, you introduced me to this website, the Footballia website, which, thank you, it's, it's the greatest <laughs> gift you can give to someone. If you don't know this website, it has every match you could possibly want. And I was, you know, we were fortunate to watch the Spanish version uh, from Movistar La Liga Champions. And this is the commentator duo that does the most important games. Now, I have here good and bad, Cole. I have here good. Carlos yes. Martinez, to me, is one of the best Spanish commentators. I freaking love his goal calls. And the emotion that he puts on, especially in the messy second goal, it makes you want to weep, you know? Absolutely. You know? How good is your Spanish? Do you just kind of... It, it's something that I think that I can underst- I can't understand in terms of what the content they're getting, but if I'm listening to the match without the screen on, I, I can tell when something big's happening. I can tell when, when something great just happened or something unique and extraordinary, and that was definitely replicated in, th- in this match as well. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Martinez is the best, man, so definitely check him out, YouTube him, and now the bat, his duo partner michael robinson and i've talked to brian with this and overall so i don't know if you know who michael robinson do you know michael robinson cole i am not familiar no okay so this guy he played in liverpool he played in mallorca i mean he was a journeyman player he was not a star player okay Mm -hmm. he's been in spain since the late 80s i believe early 90s okay and mind you this is the champions league semifinal in spain and he's the the color guy He's supposed uh-huh. to be the tactical analyst, and his Spanish is so bad. Now, <laughs> I give credit to him because he's doing his best, but I just can't get over still that they just don't use a Spanish native because he fumbles over the moment. And in that messy second goal, his commentary is awful. Like he, You're just like, no, stop talking. I don't want to hear your voice, you know? So for my bad nostalgic corner, it's Michael Robinson. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've never listened to him, but there's there's a lot of commentators out there who I, I question why they're on those European nights as well. So I, I take your word for it. Yeah. So let's let's go into some some more fun nostalgia 
prime Rakitic. I mean, free-flowing, oh. long hair, Rakitic, moving around like Tarzan. And, <laughs> I mean, how spry is he? He's just running around, tackling, energetic, making good passes, making good decisions. And it's just really crazy to see that Lucho was able to unlock Rakitic, which two managers have unable to do now. Rakitic was probably my favorite player throughout throughout that season it, it not only was he new and so, so you're more enticed by him and everything but the way that he moved off the ball and right before a pass was brought to him he, he was so smooth he would glide across the pitch and not necessarily in this match alone but uh, I mean it brought back to the good days the days when Twitter wouldn't hate on him violently and and say things that they would never say behind their keyboard so so that was that was very nice to refresher and yeah, for sure. And and again, like I said, he was making tackles out there. He was really aggressive, making the right plays. And yeah, he was definitely, you know, a stronghold on that right side. Now, you brought up this point, the Danny Alves Messi combo. What say you? Yeah, I think this was the last good season, uh, maybe one of the final good performances between the two. Uh, I think the 15 16 season didn't really have much between them. So it brought back the good memories of what the Brazilian and uh, Messi could do on that right side and how they can move the ball up and down the up and down the wing just with each other, taking on three, four different defenders, rotating in and outside. They weren't afraid to move the ball backwards just to move it forwards. They, they, could, they could do it all. And together it was nice to see uh, that combo again because I think it's one of the best in the history of the, of the beautiful game. Yeah, it's interesting because I definitely saw the defensive decline in Alves in this match alone. You know, you can just see how lazy he got, mm-hmm. especially with the grabbing, the, the the calls that he was getting and so forth. And he's so good going forward that, you know, obviously, in, even in his prime, he was never the greatest defender, you know, on defense, but he was good enough. And in this match, especially against Lewandowski, who Lewandowski pushed him a couple times and moved him around, you kind of just see the... You know, Alves is already kind of waiting for vacation type of mode. You know, he's like he's playing, but he's not all the way into the match, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think what he was able to do with the ball going forward makes up for all the errors and the kind of mistakes he can make defensively. Like he said, he had a, a lot of questionable calls go his way. But I think for the most part, they were rightly called. He he made some silly challenges. He gave the way ball. He gave away balls a lot more frequently, especially in, in passes that were moving backwards. So not only do you not want to give the ball away to Lewandowski, who's now just sitting between PK Mastrano and the goal, but it, it, that that pass is a lot more crucial than a ball played over the top to Suarez or or down the wing to Messi. So that that was a bit telling. And again, I w- I just recorded with Alejandro about the 2011 Champions League final, mm. and we talked about this idea. And it's just you know again, it just pops off the screen again. It's just fast messy, you know, and I know, you know, it's 2020, it's five years later, I get it, but it's still, it's just, you know, it's one thing when you watch the YouTube clips, right, when you just see like little moments, but when you're actually watching the match and you're just seeing all the pressing he's doing and actually just the way he's more direct in this game than he is now, for example, it, it just, it jumps off the screen, you know, the amount of times that he was in the box trying to make plays it's crazy, and it's just again. You watch the whole match, and he's one of the, you know the best player on the field. Yeah, I counted alone. Messi beat Juan Bernat three times in the first half. First half alone, that was something that I, I mean, like you and Alejandro talked about. Fast Messi is different. When you watch it through a whole game, it it speaks a lot louder than the highlights and and all the solo runs that he's had in his career because 
it's different to each person. A solo goal from Messi could be in the highlight rail to one person, and for someone else, it wouldn't even be in the top 100. It's he's the world's greatest ever player. It's it's something that I'll never get tired of looking at, and for him to to see that era of him when before he dropped back into the middle and was more of a creative playmaking type uh, role for Barca, it it was just it was dominating. He was the scariest defender. Excuse me, he's the scariest attacker in the world, and he still is today. Yeah, it's a good point. Now let's get into the another fun category for me is the goals. Let's go into the goals. Uh, the first goal was scored by Messi in the 77th minute. Again, this was Alves. You know, we just we literally just talked about his lazy defending, <laughs> but when he's up in the front, you know, he is almost like a midfielder essentially. And in this moment, he was pressing so high. He steals the ball, makes a move, a one-on-one, then just lays the ball off to Messi. Messi gets the ball. He's on top of the box, and he just lets go a shot near post. And it's obviously it's a great shot, great goal and everything. And I, I just point out two things. You know, Neuer at this moment is still considered the number one goalkeeper in the world, and you're always taught not to be beat on the near post. And he was beat, and you could just see his reaction mm-hmm. that he just cannot believe that he got beat near post. And I love that reaction. When I was watching this replay, I love that smirk that he does, and Messi was able to beat him. Yeah, you can see a, a bit of him just die inside. When he, when he stands back up, you can just tell. He, he knows he made the, the classic Cardinal mistake. Uh, and like you said, Alves is up on up on the wing so he's get, he's going to play a bit more faster he'll be a lot more willing to to move and make a tackle he dips it off to Messi it's it's all the Argentinian from there yeah I mean it's a classic you know in the 2011 Champions League he kind of did the same thing where he you know you expect him to keep going towards the middle or towards mm-hmm. the left and then he catches you by surprise with the near post and again it was just a classic shot and on this goal call it's just great because you can just see the sense of relief that the Camp Nou just breathes in that moment, right? Because we got that goal, it's game on type of thing, right? Yeah, that's a great comparison. It was very similar to the second goal he scored, or his first goal in the 2011 Champions League final. But that's also another great point is the Camp Nou, there was pressure relieved off their shoulders. I mean, how crazy is it when watching the first 77 minutes of that game and there wasn't a goal scored yet? It was wild. There were so many missed opportunities and, and loose balls. Anything could have happened. For sure, for sure. Let's go into the next goal now. I mean, Cole, this is, I think, one of my top five goals just because of the moment, the style points of this goal, the goal call on this. I mean, everything combined and also just the moment, right? Everyone's watching this match around the world and this happens. Now, again... Prime Rakitic, he is the main cog in the start of this play. He steals the ball, essentially, because of the press. And again, he makes the right play. He brings it back. He gets it back to him. He makes a great through ball pass through defenders. Messi is in the box with the right. And as I've always preached, he needs to go right more often because I think he'll have more success. Boateng, you know, is definitely one of the best defenders in the world in this moment. He's obviously doing what you should do, right? Shade Messi to the left, but he shade him too much. Messi crossed him up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cole, this 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 chip is. I mean, I I don't know if I've ever told you this, but like I've never been able to chip in an actual game, and the way he was able to chip over Neuer mm-hmm. and two defenders in this moment, the crowd reaction tells you everything you need to know, need to know about this goal. 
with his right foot too. Never forget yeah. that with his right foot. Yeah. And the other thing that is, I think some people forget about when this when this one on one encounter appeared for Messi, and he had this opportunity to go up against German defender Boateng just a year later from the World Cup. Um, misfortune for Argentina against Germany in the final. I think it was a bit of, if you left this all up to me, I would have got you 10 times out of 10, just so you know. And he, he beats two Germans on that, that one chip with, again, his less dominant foot. It, it was wild. And for me, it's it's in your top five. It's probably in my top three. Just the moment, the stage that he did it in. I mean, he, there was so much in that one chip so much meaning it wasn't just about this champions league tie it was it was about so much more for messi it was it was quieting doubters it was quieting everyone who said that he can't do it on a big night it, it's uh it's definitely one of the greatest ever yeah and i just remember in this moment in the bar like i just couldn't believe what i saw right everyone that i was watching with was just in awe and again it's just remarkable. And the other thing, too, that goes along with this is the poor Boateng memes that came along with it. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say poor. I'd say they were, they were the highlight of, of my weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the last goal. And this is the Neymar goal. And honestly, when I was watching this live, I didn't think Neymar was going to convert this goal because, you know, at this moment in Neymar's Barcelona career, he wasn't a clinical finisher that I would say he is now, right? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, he was 1v1, you know, it was counterattack. Uh, Bayern is putting everyone forward to get that one away goal. We catch him off. Neymar's 1v1, and he slots it past Neymar. And, you know, I pretty much, after this goal was done, I was like, okay, we are basically, you know, front leg forward into the final. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I remember specifically in that moment, I was like, ah, Neymar, come on, just convert this goal. And he did. He finally came through with that. Yeah, well, we're lucky for several different reasons. Like you said, Neymar's finishing wasn't wasn't the greatest at the time. And he, he picked the hardest or the most flashiest hole to go through. He goes between the legs of Neuer. And Suarez uh, picked up a ball headed away by PK at, at the initial buildup to this goal. And Suarez was absolutely hacked by Schweinsteiger. And, I mean, if the referee blows the whistle there, this thing could have gone very differently. It, you know, if the same result held up in Munich, we still would have advanced, but it, it would have been a lot more hectic and the nerves would have been there. So Messi picks up the ball, plays Neymar through. He slows down in the box, and that's when I thought oh, he's going to mess it up because we saw Suarez give away a chance early in the game. We saw Neymar kind of take a slip. A lot happened in the box, but he had a clear opportunity as well. So when he when he takes that slight hesitation in the box as he's breaking away from Benaccia and it's just one-on-one with Neuer, I, I, had a, I, I was like you. I, I wasn't really confident that he was going to put that away. And just when it goes past Neuer, I couldn't tell if it was deflected or not. I needed it to see. <laughs> I needed to, to see the ball hit the net, and, and then I was, like you said, one one foot in the final. We're nearly there. Keep in mind, this was at a time before uh, the La Remontada, the Roma game, the Liverpool game. was The game was wrapped up, 3-0 up in the 95th minute. Was the tie wrapped up? What do you think, Gabriel? Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt that way. I felt very confident, you know, going forward because obviously these three experiences hadn't happened yet, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and also with the team that we had, I thought that, you know, especially with the trio that we could score at any time, right? Especially mm-hmm. with Neymar Suarez and 
messy. So, you know, with the three, you know, like I always say, in the Champions League, it's always important to get the shutout on your home because that just makes it that much easier on the away, especially when you win, you know. Mm-hmm. And so with this three nothing, you know, they were going to have to do three. And I just, you know, I just felt confident that we were going to get the second leg. Now, let's get into some additional talking points now. You know, this is quote unquote prime Suarez, and <laughs> I couldn't have been more frustrated watching this again because how, I mean, what was his passing conversion? I think 20% if something like this. I mean, he could not string the final pass for the first 45 minutes, and it was, oh my God, I wanted to just strangle him. And also, he had two golden opportunities that he completely missed. Yeah. He, Suarez. If we're gonna call this prime Suarez, this has to go into into consideration because this this was very nerve wracking to start a match. He was slipping and sliding everywhere. He couldn't string any passes together. So, kind of going about this match, if you're thinking he's our front guy and the form that he was in that that season, you just kind of got this feeling that maybe tonight wasn't going to be his night, and that was worrisome against a German side like that who who is defensive and can counter so quickly. If Suarez isn't taking those golden opportunities and he's not converting them, then it's not necessarily great for Barcelona. For sure. I mean, now we've we've had this whole you know five-year span of him making these important goals and Clásicos and so forth, so obviously we can never say that he never scored in the important games, but I remember in this moment that there was still doubt about him in these important matches. And he had these opportunities, especially the 1v1 against Neuer, where he just buffed it, really mm-hmm. bad shot. And he, like you said, what I couldn't get was Neymar and Suarez slipping and sliding at the Camp No, like they'd never played there before, you know? <laughs> they, do, they both made uh, stud changes, and obviously it made a little bit of a difference, but mm-hmm. at the same time, both of them together were so erratic. You know, they they had they both had opportunities to, to to convert on goals that were point blank, and they just couldn't do it. Now, you, we talked about Lewandowski. Now, I think Lewandowski is one of the best number nines in the past ten years, obviously. But in this match, he had a broken nose and he had the face mask, and he missed mm-hmm. a golden opportunity where I think having that face max interfered with him a little bit in that the peripheral vision aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Imagine, Cole, if Lewandowski didn't break his nose. Is there a different uh, turn of events in this match? Absolutely. I think if, if, he, if he didn't have the face mask on and he was fully fit and nothing weird going on on, on his head or anything like that, uh, and that same ball comes through Muller, I mean, he already beat Ter Stegen on the angle. Ball's in the back of the net. It's 1-0 in the 25th minute. Think uh, it, it's tough to say because back then we didn't have this terrible record of coming from behind and 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 figuring out a ways to get back into games and then establish a lead. So I think that I think this game would have turned out okay for us, but that away goal would have been massive, and Bayern probably would have acted a little bit differently in Munich as well. Lewandowski's on the field, but he's not really there, as mm-hmm. I felt. You know, like. He was giving our defense quite some problems here and there, but I just don't think he was completely confident because obviously with the face mask. Have you ever played with a face mask like that? No, I haven't. But like you said, I think the one thing is is Lewandowski, he he couldn't – he was on the field and he was causing problems, but not with the ball at his feet. He was making runs. He was finding space. But any time he got – I can just think of four or five different scenarios where the ball's not flat on the ground. It's kind of bumping around. 
and PK is defending him, and, and Lewandowski just loses it each time. I, th- I think it comes down to he couldn't really control the ball as comfortably as, as he liked, and he definitely couldn't use his head for, for anything in that match either. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think it's a completely different game. And also, you know, imagine Goetze, a healthy Lewandowski, and Muller. All of a sudden, I think that's a different type of game. Now, obviously, you know, we can't deal with injuries and so forth, and that that's mm-hmm. part of the game, and I get that. But I just think if... It's a healthier Lewandowski. I just think it's a different type of match. Now, let's go to the final talking point here, and this is Neymar. Now, watching this match again, this is the Neymar I did not like. Mm-hmm. Like, he loses possession, doesn't mm-hmm. make the right passes, is always trying to be so flashy to go to the corner. Obviously, the year after, he became a little bit better at controlling all those things and understanding the importance of the possession part. But this is kind of the end of this. Mm-hmm. And man, I was just getting so frustrated seeing him slipping and sliding and just being so erratic all the time. Yeah, it was that Neymar that maybe that night was just too big for him. It was his first massive, I mean, the quarterfinals and, and the, is a massive stage as well. But for Neymar to be on that stage, and I think the pressure that he was being included in the trident of Messi, Suarez, Neymar, there was a lot of pressure on him to deliver that night. Like he said, it's at home. It's not a pitch that he's never played on before. This is this is what he at least claims he's built for night, like, nights like these. But he didn't really act like it. But I do think it is funny because as soon as the ball went in the back of the net from him in the 95th minute, he acted like he had just had a 10-star performance. He acted <laughs> like he was the man of the match and, and all this stuff. So I think it just comes down to that's what the Brazilian liked. That was his flair. You know he he's gonna struggle. He was young at the time, and and he didn't really stat or prove himself. But he, there was definitely the pressure there for that match. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing too, I mean, physically looking at Neymar in that mm-hmm. match compared to now, it's just it's it's crazy because you know obviously he's not the biggest guy now, mm-hmm. but even watching that match just from four years ago, <laughs> he still looks like a child. You know, he does. And especially doing that doing that one move that he always did, coming back to the ball and turning to the corner. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Cole! I just was like, stop doing that move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they know the move, and you keep losing the ball. So stop doing that. Yeah, it's something that worked for him back when he was at Santos and, and maybe in the yeah. early stages with Tata, but it's not going to work under that style of play when you have Suarez, who's just just give him the ball, except for that night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, and that's that's kind of funny, the evolution of that trident, because obviously the year after they became more solidified, more lethal, they understood. But again, it was just those two guys, when Suarez and Neymar came together and understood the importance of you know, going after the ball, Defending and not losing possession, that's when they really started to come together. Because in this match, Cole, like the amount of times they lost the ball is incredible. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with a healthier Bayern, I think the outcome is completely different. So do you have any last thoughts on this match? Yeah, I think my last thought would be is is maybe the stage was too bright and too big for Suarez and Neymar, but look at that right flank. That was one of the hottest performances that Messi's probably ever delivered on a big night where a lot of his doubters say he doesn't deliver. So when you have the trident of Messi, Suarez, Neymar, and how they were regarded in the press, in the media that day, and for, to have two of them not show up, man, you had one that over-delivered and, and took all of the baggage that they had dropped and just absolutely won us the game. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, there's a funny part, too, because both of them scored in the final. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, the lesson learned in this match help them to 
you know, have the performance they did in the final. Because in the final, they both did perform a lot better. Mm-hmm. They were more dangerous, a better trident. And, it, you know, again, it's all about growing pains and understanding the moment. And like you, know, like you said, you know, it's just uh, messy mm-hmm. again, just <laughs> over-delivering as always. So, yeah. So, good point. So, want to thank everyone <laughs> for listening. Uh, we'll have more episodes on classic FC Barcelona matches coming out over the weeks to come. Until next time, Visco Barça. Sports Social Podcast Network.